in Minnesota where I grew up and still live today, winters are getting wimpy. We just marked the warmest December ever recorded, with stretches of open water still on lakes that should normally be thick enough with ice to be able to drive across. And here is what the Minneapolis Star Tribune reported this morning. High temperature records in the Twin Cities and across much of southern Minnesota are expected to fall Wednesday, and warm air moving into the state might make it the hottest day ever seen in January. Apart from this being yet another harbinger of climate doom, or an occasion for me to unleash some curmudgeonly old fart rant about what winters were like when I was a kid, they were breathtakingly, life-threateningly, exhilarating cold, I'm thinking at the moment of what I might call the spirituality of winter, the wisdom for my soul that the gifts and rigors of the season can impart. Now, I know that you might live in a part of the world where the distinctions between spring, summer, autumn, and winter aren't all that noticeable, or where holiday songs like White Christmas or Winter Wonderland don't conjure anything but blank, uncomprehending stares. We had a brown Christmas around here this year, by the way. I once led a retreat that was built around the realities and metaphors of winter in Arizona, of all places. Let's just say it didn't really work as I had hoped to do a winter-themed retreat in the desert southwest. Or we could say, Chris, that was really dumb. Anyway, you might live in a place that doesn't really have winter. And for that, you have my condolences. Because as every season has its mysteries and magic, its occasion for suffering and wonder, ache and awe, its lessons to teach and questions to pose, so does winter. And so do the interior winters of our lives. Each season, of course, is what it is because of the Earth's distance from the sun, the tilt of its axis as it rotates around the sun, the latitude on the globe relative to the equator and the poles, the composition of the atmosphere and its capacity to filter cosmic radiation and hold and release heat, and so on. That is, the realities and wisdom of winter are built into the way things are. At the right latitudes, winter is colder and daylight hours are shorter because they have to be. They can't be otherwise. My point is that one of the first bits of winter wisdom, whether winter around us or the winter within us, is simply to accept it, embrace it, and learn from how nature and our souls just know how to be in wintertime. So, in winter, life slows and quiets. In field and forest, seeds have been cast and now lie fallow. Trees have just begun to set buds for new growth that now still themselves and wait through the cold and the darkness for the coming of spring. For some creatures, winter is a time for dormancy. And yes, sometimes for endings, a time to die. Not everything survives through the winter, and not everything should. Winter reminds us that all things end. It's a time for stillness and pause, for rest and Sabbath. A blanket of snow brings a hush and invites silence. It's a time to burrow under the snow, 
Oh, how I used to love digging tunnels and building forts in the snowbanks around the farm where I grew up. I'd get unbelievably cold and wet, but there was nothing like hunkering down deep inside those snow caves, peeling off my sodden, ice-crusted gloves to blow on my numb fingers, relishing the hush so deep I could sometimes hear the beating of my heart, or the skitter of a squirrel across the snow layered above my head. Winter is a time to dive deep under the ice and into the water, a time of going inward to probe under the surface aspects of our lives, to ponder and reflect, to ask what might not otherwise be asked, and to listen deeply for what might not otherwise be heard through all the noise in our lives. Gail Boss writes in her wonderful short essay called a turtle's quiet bead of solitude, that with the approach of winter, quote, at some precise temperature an ancient bell sounded in the turtle brain, a signal. Take a deep breath. Each creature slipped off her log and swam for the warmer muck bottom. Stroking her way through the woven walls of plant stems, she found her bottom place. She closed her eyes and dug into the mud. She buried herself, and then pulled into her shell Encased in darkness, she settled into a deep stillness. Her heart slowed and slowed almost to stopping. Her body temperature dropped and stopped just short of freezing. Now everything in her has gone so still she doesn't need to breathe. Sunk in its bottom mud, for six months she will not draw air into her lungs and she waits. It is her one work, and it is not easy. But to move to escape, requiring breath, in a place where there is no oxygen, that would suffocate her. So, though she is dissolving, every stressed particle of her stays focused on the silver bead of utter quietude. In and through winter, Nature reminds us that rest is necessary for life, not an extravagance or a waste of time. Sean Ginwright makes the case in his article in Nonprofit Quarterly Magazine titled Rest, a Middle Finger to Oppression, a Roadmap to Justice, that rest is also an act of freedom. What Ginwright calls a middle finger to oppression that tells us to work tirelessly for the pleasure of capitalism. The idea that rest is weakness or a luxury has a long history in America and is still deeply rooted in, he says, white supremacist Western culture. Unquote. Increasing volumes of research show us that rest and leisure have numerous physiological benefits, including reducing stress and illness, enhancing creativity, and sharpening focus and concentration, all of which, Jenright contends, are essential to our shared ongoing work for social change. Rest is also an act of core health, both for the individual and for the larger community and the common good. Ginwright points out that just as crops that are grown in the same soil year after year drains it of key nutrients that are vital for growth and flourishing, so too our culturally enforced addiction to grind culture, to shackling ourselves to our relentless treadmills to nowhere, 
sucks us dry and depletes our capacity to live lives of true abundance. Like nature, wise farmers know that letting the soil rest for a season, by rotating crops or allowing fallow time, ultimately increases production by replenishing nutrients and restoring soil quality. Ginwright contends that, quote, like the wise farmers who allow their land to rest, replenishing ourselves is the only real way to make the deep change we need in our world. Unquote. The word winter itself also offers clues as to its gifts. In English, the word winter likely derives from a Proto-Germanic word for water or wet. Winter is not only the coldest season, in many parts of the world it's also the wettest. And in the relative dark and gloom of winter, we may feel bogged down, soggy, chilled from the damp, stuck in a swamp. But even in those places, even in the deep, often murky waters of our lives, there can be gift. Swamps and bogs get a bum rap in popular culture as places to be avoided in favor of choosing to stick to the high dry ground. But in reality, wetlands are more than just sinks for rot and muck and decay. They provide crucial filtering of toxins and vast reservoirs of crucial nutrients. Swamps and bogs and rainforests are yeasty places replete and bursting with life. They also invite us to attend to the margins of our lives, to the blurry and the untidy, to the emergent and evolving, to the maybe tantalizing, maybe frightening germ of an idea that peeks at us from the twilight, the twin lights of daytime and of the night, where lives our imagination. Barbara Hurd writes in her marvelous little book, Stirring the Mud on Swamps, Bogs, and the Human Imagination, that, quote, To love a swamp is to love what is muted and marginal, what exists in the shadows, what shoulders its way out of mud and scurries along the damp edges of what is most commonly praised. And sometimes its invisibility is a blessing. Swamps and bogs are places of transition and wild growth, breeding grounds, experimental labs where organisms and ideas have the luxury of being out of the spotlight, where the imagination can mutate and mate, send tendrils into and out of the water. Unquote. And, of course, the human body is mostly water formed and carried in a watery womb for nine months and birthed into a planet that is also mostly water. The composition of human tears mirrors the composition of Earth's oceans. Water is our home, and winter invites us to come home, to be at home in our own skin and in the company of those who love us and whom we love. So, yes, winter can be cold, and wet, and then there's darkness. Winter can be a time, regardless of the astronomical season, to confront and enter into and perhaps to dwell in the dark night of the soul. Our interior winters can be a time of impasse, 
of despair, of fear. We speak of being lost in the dark, of being afraid of the dark, in ways that are probably rooted in and certainly perpetuated by white supremacist racism, we often associate darkness with evil. But, as with the cold that invites necessary rest and going deep under the surface, and as with the wet that reminds us of the growth and life that are gifts of the swamps and bogs of our lives, so too the dark can hold gift and blessing. We can, as wisely named by the title of Barbara Brown Taylor's remarkable book, learn to walk in the dark. The tender light of moonlight can soothe and illuminate in some ways that the bright, sometimes burning light of day just can't. The cool shelter of a shaded forest or of a cave can offer respite. Winter can be a time to venture outside, away from the invasive intrusion of city lights, and bask in the awe and wonder of the star-spangled night sky. Winter can be a time to embrace darkness, to see things with a clarity like no other time of the year. On a winter's night, the stars seem close enough to touch. Our interior winters are times of trees stripped bare clarity a time of pruning away tangled snarls of complexity that can obscure our vision, a time of a sharper, more expansive and far-reaching imagination. Cold, wet, dark, and finally dangerous. Every season has its dangers, of course, but winter can kill in its own unique ways. Roads can become treacherous. Travelers can become stranded. Going too long without adequate shelter or warmth can mean frostbite or freezing to death. Equipment can break. Pipes can freeze and burst. Especially out in the country with nothing to block the wind, it's easy to get lost in the blizzard. Parker Palmer writes in the introductory chapter to his book, A Hidden Wholeness, about the blizzard of the world, and how farmers would stretch a rope from the barn to the house to hold on to, as a guide, a lifeline through the storm. Winter reminds us, in other ways, of our fundamental connection to, interrelationship with, and dependence upon others. It's a time that beckons us to come inside to the lit, warm comfort of the hearth and to gather with others around the fire and the power of story. Winter can seem like an especially solitary, even lonely time. The dark nights of the soul of our interior winters can feel desolate and abandoned, utterly without solace and aching with the absence of God. And winter's harshness can kill, perhaps most cruelly and efficiently, when it catches us alone. And yet, always and yet, winter also beckons us to come together, to share our warmth and our light, our food and our shelter, our sleds and our skis and our hot cider and our stories. Winter reminds us that we need each other, that we all do better when we all do better, that we keep each other alive.
A rare blanket of snow has been known to bring a pause, if even only for a time, to fighting in the Holy Land. It can obscure differences that divide, offer glimpses of what we have in common, and call us to remember that we are all in this together. As a kid growing up on a farm in Minnesota, one of the features of winter was the need for country families to designate a storm home in town, a place where we could go if the weather got too bad for the school buses to bring us home. I got to stay with my storm home family only once that I remember. I was maybe 10 or 11 years old at my aunt and uncle Dorothy and Roy's place. Roy used to call me Sniggle Fritz. No idea why, but I loved it. He also ran a little corner store on the edge of downtown, creaky wood floors lined with sturdy shelves stocked with a little of this and a little of that, your grocery basics, canned goods, baking supplies, boxes of cereal and crackers, a cooler with milk and ice cream in the back, popsicles in the summer, boxes of assorted grape and cherry and orange, and up at the front counter, a few rows of candy and such. This particular winter, after the storm had passed, but before the roads were clear enough for my mom or dad to drive into town to get me, Roy got me a foot-long hunk of grape bubblegum from the front counter at the store. And across the day or two of waiting at my storm home, watching TV, reading now and then, taking naps on the couch curled under a soft blanket, listening to Dorothy and Roy tell stories, or talk on the phone, or just putter quietly about the house doing whatever it is that grown-ups do. Across that day or two of waiting, I taught myself how to blow bubbles with that seemingly endless foot-long rod of grape bubblegum. Wow! Was I proud to be able to show that off to Mom once she finally did make it into town. A lifelong skill and a lifelong grape-tanged memory gifted to me by people who I admittedly didn't know all that well, but who I knew cared for me. Gifted to me also by a community that provided things like, well, schools and buses, and power for light and heat, and streets and roads, and plows for clearing them. And gifted to me by people I'd never met who were clever enough to invent things like foot-long grape bubblegum, and TV, and cartoons, and blankets, and couches, and by people who were called to things like farming, and teaching, and running a corner store, and plowing the roads. Gifted to me by a spectacular, paralyzing, powerful, dangerous, bring-everything-to-a-stop Minnesota blizzard. Gifted to me by winter. And then, of course, as is the case with all the seasons of our life, there comes the gift of winter that it, too, will end. Daylight hours will lengthen, the winds will warm, and spring will come again. Along the way is the now, but not yet, the freeze-thaw, freeze-thaw, the ugliness that's revealed as the snow melts, the mud, the mud, the mud, 
the life within the seeds that were cast in the autumn will begin to arouse from winter dormancy, and eventually, eventually, the world turns green again. Remember that turtle that has wintered through at the bottom of her pond, not breathing, heart barely beating? Its author, Gail Boss, concludes with this, It's this radical simplicity that will save her. And deep within it, at the heart of her stillness, something she has no need to name, but something we might call trust. That one day, yes, the world will warm again, and with it, her life. A last gift of winter is the assurance that green will return. Spring will come again. Through the inexorable turn of all the seasons, but perhaps especially through the depths of winter, runs a thread of patience and perseverance, and another of trust that something new will emerge. As always, we leave you with some questions to ponder as you reflect back on things you may have heard in this episode. How are you in winter now? What are the gifts and rigors, the questions and learnings that your interior winter holds for you? How do you let yourself rest? Recalling winter's deep waters. What have you learned or how have you grown from a swampy time in your life? In the midst of the blizzard of the world, who or what can you rely on as your storm home, your place of sanctuary, of warmth, of care? For whom are you a home in the storm, a rope from the barn to the house? Knowing that winter too will end and spring will come again, what green shoot of possibility lies waiting within you to emerge into the light? I'm Chris Johnson, so grateful for your listening to Pause, Purpose, Possibility, and for who you are in the world. <laughs>